0: Happy Labor Day, all you lovers of photography. You are listening to I Love Photography Live. This is episode 30. Maybe you're watching us on YouTube at youtube.com slash photoshelter, or maybe you're listening to the podcast from iTunes by searching for I Love Photography. Whatever the case is, you can find all the links we're talking about today on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can always tweet at us at hashtag I I love photo. I'm joined as usual by my lovely co-host Sarah Jacobs. Hey, Alan. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Getting ready for the weekend. Although I think we're gonna have a little bit of uh, some thunderstorms, maybe.
1: Yeah, we've been plagued with thunderstorms on holiday weekends this year.
0: But it's been a nice summer, it a has. temperate summer.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. We have a lot of pictures this week. Finally, I mean, it's not that the not not that 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 the Ferguson thing has died down. Uh, That's certainly ongoing. Um, But we're not looking at those photos this week. We're looking at other photos. And in fact, we're starting by not even talking about photos, but photography, and that's with an interview that our buddy James Estrin over at the New York Times did with the Getty CEO and founder Jonathan Klein over on the Lens blog. And. Sarah, we've heard Getty make statements before about this whole notion of giving away photos for free. Um, And eh, you know, I think we've talked about, about my viewpoint in the past is, well, you know, they had to try something because yes, the, the photography industry is going through a lot of change. And they say there's too much theft. Uh, We can't catch all of these infractions, and a lot of them are just like not that big a deal, so why don't we give away, I don't know, how many millions of photos are available for editorial use, non-commercial use. You can embed them. And in this uh, interview with Jonathan Klein, he gives some crazy statistics about how many images are embedded in a given day. I can't even remember what it is, like tens of thousands. Um and so I was reading the reaction of photographers uh, on Facebook when this came out because Jim posted on his Facebook feed and, and a lot of people follow Jim and then people would would share it and then they would uh, uh, kind of comment on it and my takeaway is this I think that Jonathan Klein as a CEO has valid points about the the amount of content that's created and the price deflation that it creates so I think that, that that's fair game and, I, and I, I wouldn't begrudge any CEO out there who wants to try different things to move the direction that the business is going in. My biggest problem is actually what I perceive to be disingenuity about their statements
1: And where have you been seeing that?
0: Well I just feel like it's always like oh we really love photographers, we're behind the photographers Uh, we write royalty checks for people and now even doctors and dentists can make money and all this kind of stuff. And more people are making money through photography now than ever before. Um, And yet when you talk to professional photographers who have been with Getty for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, however long they've been around, they say, well, now, you know, I used to get checks for $2,000 a month and now I get checks for $10 a month. And I see, like, my image was used on a magazine cover and I got 20 cents for it. And Getty always, I feel like they always try to explain that away somehow. And I, I just feel like if they were sort of honest with their audience, maybe they'd lose some of their contributors, but at least people wouldn't be like, those guys are lying sacks of you know, blah, blah, blah.
1: And they'd still be making money even if they did lose some yeah. of their contributors because they have so many at this point.
0: Yeah, they, right? they you know, they have iStock, they have Getty. You know, the the, the people that are challenging them nowadays are are the other stock photo, the the micro stock photo places um, but they're not it's not like they're gonna disappear overnight and, and in the meantime I, I think they really have a lot of ill will towards them which is only exacerbated by the fact that every time somebody publicly from Getty gets up to speak nobody be- believes what they're saying
1: Right, well, I, I, I do like when Klein kind of talks about, you know, we care so much about the quality of what we're putting out, and yet yeah. the entire discussion revolves around the qu- the quantity, and yeah. Estrin kind of throws it back in his face, and he's like, but much of our discussion has been about the quantity of, yeah. of the needs, you know, and of the amount you're putting out, so, ugh. <laughs>
0: That, that's all I want to say you know I, I think there's a lot of nuance i think as an individual photographer you know you you can't if you made two thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars a month 15 years ago you can't expect that to be true today because of digital and because of the internet and marketplaces that exist and have popped up and, and all these different competitors but i don't think i don't think it's a problem to say hey guys you guys just have to be a little bit more honest about the way that you treat photographers and just call a spade a spade that's all I'm saying
1: <sighs> Klein Also, Klein noted that AnimalNewYork.com has been using a lot of their embeddable images. He says, you know, a lot of sites are using the embeddable images that I'd never even heard of, like AnimalNewYork.com. I have to say, Animal of New York has stolen one of my personal images, so <laughs> there you go. They didn't pay for my images anyway, now All they right. get them for free off that Getty, so whatever.
0: <laughs> there you go. Maybe you should list your stuff with Getty, so at least you know where they're going. Or something.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
0: Uh, you don't typically think of Al Jazeera as being a location of great photojournalism, and yet they are. Here's a piece uh, it's, a, it's a long-form piece as we we like to call these things nowadays. The photographer is Ayman Ogana for Al Jazeera America and the article is just talking about how Iraqi life has changed with Uh, you know, getting rid of Saddam and all the the fractious fighting that's going on and then the rise of ISIS, the Islamic State. Um, But more to the point about photography, really nice photography.
1: Yeah, gorgeous photography. Although the gallery slideshow was continuously not working for me which was frustrating Mm -hmm. but but you are even within this layout it's great you're you're able to click these images that are smaller and have them pop up and pop up over in a larger view. It's great. It reminds work... me
0: of some photo shelter themes.
1: Yes, such if as I Sonnet. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um,
0: absolutely. You know, these, and these are great photos on their own, but, you, you know, when, when great photos are in great design, it just looks that much better. Yeah. That's just a fact. You know, it's sad when you come across, you know, some of these, news, like, regional newspaper sites or small newspaper sites where the images are literally, like, 400 pixels. Um, and they just don't have design budgets because they're using some off-the-shelf software to to run their their websites. just makes me sad and this makes me happy to see all this great photography. Um, so we have the Iraqi tragedy and then of course we have the Ebola tragedy which is still going on and I just read an article yesterday that said they think uh, it could spread to another 20,000 more people and remember, this is a disease that can have uh, mortality rates up to ninety percent, so you know if twenty thousand people get it and ninety percent die we 're talking about a lot of eighteen thousand people are going to die from this thing. Um, the Washington post Marianne Galone, who's the uh, photo director over there, sent uh, staffer Pete Muller uh, to Sierra Leone to kind of photograph the birthplace of this outbreak and Again, like beautiful design with great photography talking about a very serious topic, and hopefully photography helps attract people to the article and helps shed some light on it. Um, and just really fantastic photography. Love this stuff. Washington Post, you know, I got to meet Marianne Gallon, um, who was formerly at Time, I mean, she's been everywhere. I got to meet her last year at uh, the Rich Clarkson Photography at the Summit she's a cool cool chick man and I love the stuff that they're doing um, just love the stuff that they're doing over there they, they they like the New York Times have invested a lot in uh, these modern designs responsive designs that will show up on tablets etc and really working um, the print side and the online side uh, in conjunction um, but you know everything in this package is coming together Speaking of long form and redesigns, the the most famous boxing photographer and one of the greatest uh, sports photographers ever, Neil Leifer, over on Sports Illustrated, he shot for Sports Illustrated for many many years, and they did uh, as part of their long form series uh, a whole piece on his boxing photos. Um, so you get to see this lovely layout here that we're looking at, and then the whole you know parallax design. Uh, large type and they have not only photos but little interview segments about these particular matches and the interesting thing to me about this is there's a very famous Ali photo with Liston him kind of cowering over Liston and let me see if I can find it here this photo mm, yeah um, very famous. iconic yeah, super famous and you think about like when this was taken in 65 like the colors are so vibrant the light looks—I mean—it looks like a movie set. It's like brilliant. He actually goes on to say his favorite boxing photo that he took was was inspired by this. So first he did a fish eye, and he liked the way that it looked. And then the next fight, or one of the next fights that he photographed, uh, he was able to get his camera eighty feet up in the air, so he could take this photo. So without the fisheye, he took this photo, everything, you know, square frame and he said this is his favorite boxing photo ever. Wow! And it's sort of like drone photography almost, <laughs> like the world's from a different spot but you see Ollie with hands raised and the other guy is just flat on his back.
1: He's flat out, he's done.
0: <laughs> Amazing photo And and look how close the reporters are and look how close. The judges are I mean, you just don't get that close anymore as well, so there's this real intimate feel to the to the to the surrounding perimeter of the photo, and then you have this kind of blank canvas i mean it looks like a painting almost
1: yeah, yeah, it has a distinct pattern to it. why didn't this run on a cover
0: <laughs> that's a good question man <laughs> it's a great photo I mean it doesn't have maybe the same sort of gritty emotion as the other one does, the, the more famous one does. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and you can see Ali's face.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, but boy, this, I mean this guy is... the guy's a legend. What, what can you say? What can you say? And his stuff, by the way, his... you know, he was able to maintain his copyright, because that's just how it was back in the day. You go out, and he would like sneak in and, and shoot. And <laughs> life for, you know, yeah. his prints sell for thousands of dollars. He's got all of this vintage stuff that nobody else has. Wow. So kind of kind of end of an era in some ways, because that 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 type of opportunity for t- photographers doesn't exist anymore. Speaking of sports, I just like this. You know, we know Benjamin Lowy.
1: Yeah. He's spoken at some of our luminance panels at Photoville.
0: We know him as like this hardcore photojournalist, does a lot of conflict photography or or has done in the past. The New York Times Magazine hired him to photograph uh, Eugenie Bouchard, who's an up-and-coming tennis phenom. And I just like this particular photo. Uh, There's something about, you know, the low angle. Like, on the court low angle, you couldn't take this photo at a game because you'd be in the way of the the player, obviously. But she's totally sprawled out in the air. I love jumping pictures. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know? He's toned the sky really nicely. It's just a great photo.
1: Yeah, I, I'm used to seeing Ben's work you know on Instagram because he's famous for his, his Instagram account. Yeah. But you know if the guy can make a couple days of tennis practice look awesome, he's a great photographer. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and then he does this other sort of reportage style stuff so it's not like sports action completely. He, he followed the family around here and so you can see some of the, the photos that he took. Um, and this yeah, is a just, lovely photo too, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, this this whole little gallery is just such an intimate look at her, you know, at her days practicing, what that must be like leading up to games, and kind of the tension between her and that's like her coach or her mom, or sure. yeah, her mom, yep. yeah.
0: Great stuff. And the black and white totally worked for me. I mean, you know, she's down, and I assume she's down in Florida at one of these tennis training camps, and, and the color would have been very vibrant, I mean, we look at like Chip Lither- Litherland's work from Miami. And he he loves the saturation of the colors down there. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: Ben chose black and white, and it totally works for me. Good stuff. Um, there was a photo. I think it was <laughs> two years ago, going around, and it was probably like on Buzzfeed or Huffington Post or one of these sites that always has funny photo features. And it was a woman wearing like a mask at the beach, and it just looked ridiculous. Well here's a photographer uh, Kevin Freyer working for Getty who went back to the beach and apparently this thing has caught on with Chinese women Um, and yeah, the woman who made it has been surprised by the success of this thing but Kevin went down there and shot portraits and, and more photojournalistic style stuff uh, of these women covered up, and they say that you know the reason why they do that is because fair skin is very prized in China. And if you look kind of historically at a lot of these places, you know, it was the laborers who had the tan skin, so that was sort of frowned upon as sort of a, a cultural indicator that you were not high class. Um, of course, now we know, Sarah, that sun is bad for you.
1: The sun is bad, yes.
0: It makes you a photo age. You don't want to look older than you are. Exactly. So I see this stuff and it looks ridiculous, but in the back of my head I'm also like, Where can I get one of those?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, just stick to your sunscreen routine, Is Alan. that
0: is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, or just maybe, stick to that. And now here's like a, a kid in a full wetsuit with a face mask. It's it's a little ridiculous. It
1: it looks this is the future. This is the this is just the future right here.
0: <laughs> I I just kind of feel like if you're gonna go to the beach I mean, just go to, like, an indoor pool. Maybe that's not an option. I don't know.
1: Oh, yeah, but, true.
0: But great to see, uh, you know, photography capturing this cultural phenomenon that's happening uh, on the other side of the world and just, you know, this is going to catch on at some point. In
1: the I'm time. <laughs> not sure about that.
0: Okay, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Instagram released a new app this week called Hyperlapse. And you... Uh, as I have probably seen a lot of hyperlapse videos appearing in people's Facebook feeds.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot of bad ones, yep.
0: A lot of horrible <laughs> ones. It's a cool little app so I experimented with it. A uh-huh. bunch. And the thing that I don't think people are getting is that hyperlapse is a subset of time lapse. Not to get all super semantic-y on people but in the same way that to me selfie means you're physically holding the camera Right. And therefore, it's not—it's a subset of self-portrait where it could be on a tripod, et cetera, et cetera. Hyperlapse refers to time-lapse where the camera is moving as the photo is taken, and so you see in their examples. Let's see if this video will play of you know guys on a boat, guys in a plane, mm-hmm. people walking around a city. And the and the photos and the, the, the videos that I've been seeing on Facebook are like I'm eating my breakfast, <laughs> and here's a time lapse of the food disappearing, and I gotta say it's really not interesting.
1: No, Mm-mm. you gotta be going somewhere.
0: You gotta go somewhere.
1: You gotta go somewhere. Come on, guys. So
0: I I had a meeting in Midtown, Sarah, and I and I put the phone in my pocket, and I put a clip on it. Did you see the movie Her? I have not seen that. Okay, so in that movie, the guy, Joaquin Phoenix, falls in love with a computer, and the computer, with the voice of Scarlett Johansson, says, uh, you know, use your camera so I can see what you're seeing. So he puts a big safety pin at the bottom of his shirt pocket so that the phone can prop out of the top of his pocket, the phone Mm -hmm. camera. Mm -hmm. So I I did that. I felt like I was in her. (laughs) clip at the bottom. I had half an inch of the, the top of the phone sticking out, and then I would ride my bike around and I, you know, try it out. It's hard to come up with a good one.
1: Okay, so you weren't too happy
0: with the results. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna do a whole post on this thing, and then I saw the results of my video, and I was like, nah, forget it.
1: <laughs> it didn't pass. I know it'll be interesting. I still am yet to see photographers use Instagram video in an interesting way. Yes. Which I'm yeah. kind of bummed about. I, I've only seen a few, but I, I'm, it's. It'll be interesting to see how they use hyperlapse, and if they do at all, if it catches on with photographers, it might not. You know, might let's just leave it to the cinematographers, maybe.
0: The one thing that struck me when hyperlapse came out is it 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 reinforced this notion in my head that the major camera manufacturers, you know, I wrote that that fo- uh, that blog post about uh, the you know the future of photography, the future camera,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, in response to the Nikon DF. Um, and, you know, the, the approach to making cameras is these monolithic, completely closed systems where you can't really modify anything. And the approach to the iPhone, once they started allowing apps, is anybody can take advantage of the software and the hardware units. And we have accelerometers in here so we can tell we're moving and you can build in stabilization and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, well, gosh, why haven't we seen... I know there have been some experiments with it, but why haven't we seen Canon and Nikon come out with a programmable camera so that a time lapse or a hyperlapse function is built into it and it does all the stitching for you. It's amazing that our phone can do that. I mean I've done it, I've done intervalometer photography and then stitched together photos uh, with Adobe Premiere and it just takes a really, really long time and we can do it on our phone now and the processors are fast enough and cheap enough you just have to wonder, like, when when are we going to see it in the DSLRs, or will that always be sort of a consumer uh, feature? I don't know. I feel like the, these camera manufacturers could make a big splash if they kind of figured that out.
1: Figure out the hyperlapse, guys. Figure. Come on, Canon.
0: <laughs> Let's do it, Canon. Uh, I think
1: everybody needs some more practice with the app first, Alan.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that'll that give Nikon some time to, to think about how they can yeah. put that into their camera.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: This uh, series of photos is kind of up your alley. You like the, I do. You like the after dark.
1: Yeah. Going on. I like the after dark, and I, I'm excited about this. David Godless, he was a photographer who shot a lot of the... Early, early years of CBGB's and uh, I just actually finished reading the autobiography of Richard Hell, who started the band television so I've kind of been in this in this headspace in this world reading about it and then David Godless uh, launched a Kickstarter just this week to raise funds for his very first book which is going to put together all of the images he took between like 1974 and early 80s of these rockers um and he's doing it with the help of photo editor from vice so of course he's already raised $75,000 <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> which is amazing and great yeah. um, the in this interview in vice he mentions uh, david mentions that he didn't want to use flash that was his big thing and a lot of photographers were doing that obviously shooting the nightlife and using really bright big flash and David wanted to stray away from that because he was really inspired by Versailles Paris uh, imagery so he shot all of this in just very low light must have been high ISO film you know and kind of made the subject stand still with him for for a second you know to get the shot Um, and it turned out to be amazing work but it was kind of deemed as not printable back then because it was so kind of grimy and gritty. Yeah. So now he feels like, you know, it's time. It's time to put it all together into a book and, and have it live on. So
0: You know, a lot of those shots, as you said, have taken kind of mid to, to late 70s, maybe early 80s. The fastest film at the time was like 3200, and it was super grainy. It was like Agfa 3200. So 1600 really? is more common or 800 and uh, use 800 and then you try to push it you know two stops three stops right. the fact that he was even trying that I mean nowadays we shoot at ISO 25,000 we do not even think about it
1: right I know you do it when you don't even in, really need it you're just like oh whoops! Yeah. it was on it was on ISO
0: <laughs> yeah it was on ISO 12,000 and I had a 1.4 lens and I was shooting <laughs> at 1-2,000 of <laughs> a second
1: exactly like oh I can kick that down okay <laughs>
0: very cool yeah. and and you know Kickstarter for as, as as sucky as Kickstarter can be sometimes particularly uh, when it's like hardware stuff that never materializes yeah I, I still don't have the instacube that I ordered two years ago oh really yeah but books book projects like this where they're like sort of historical even if they're niche like ah, I'm all for that man that's great very cool we have uh, speaking of like old school, over on Petapixel, they found two photographers in Paris who shot a video through the viewfinder of a Pentax 6.7 camera. And it is just lovely. So the photographers figured out this contraption, because they had to mount, so they, they're using a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera. They mounted it to a piece of wood onto the camera, and then they figured out they had to put like, a black background to avoid some of the reflection.
1: Oh, and they must have cut a hole. I'm trying to figure out how, how exactly this worked. They must have cut a hole through that black.
0: Yeah, they cut a hole through that black thing, so the, the barrel of the the, of the video camera, that high-diff video camera sticking through. Got it. Um, and they put, like, some nice soundtrack. But it's just... I don't know. I don't know why I never thought of this.
1: Yeah, this is a pretty simple concept, but the video does look... It looks nice, but you know what it kind of looks like? What's that? Kind of looks like an Instagram video with a filter on it. <laughs> kind
0: of, a little bit, yeah. Well, this is, you know, Instagram is based on this real thing. So.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> forgot for a second.
0: <laughs> but you know, it, it, every time I take out my Hasselblad, and somebody goes, "What is that?" and I go, "Well, look, look in the viewfinder," and they're like, "Oh my god!" Because there's, you know, with medium format and the way that the prism works and the lenses, there's just this weird. 3D separation of foreground and background elements. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, absolutely. And
0: you, and you get some of this in this video, and I think that's part of the charm of this. And of course, you know that kind of sappy piano soundtrack that's going on in the background um, makes it makes you feel Instagrammy, right? If you will. <laughs> but I thought it was a neat little project, and I, and I I kind of am inclined to copy it, but I don't think I have the patience to build a little. Wooden stand.
1: Yeah, the stand thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that
1: would require physical labor.
0: <laughs> Patrick Hall, who's one of the founders of F-Stoppers, I think he's one of the founders. He's, he's high up at F-Stoppers, whatever the case is. <laughs> he has a project oh. where he took a taser and photographed people getting tased.
1: This is a very strange project.
0: <laughs> it's a strange project. They're interesting photos. So the people, for whatever reason, he said, I'm going to get people without their shirts on. And the women are wearing like bandos, but you can't see that. He shot it kind of loose so that he could crop in. He was using a Nikon D800 or 810, 36 megapixel, tons of space to do that. Um, And then there was an assistant off to the side with a little hand taser um, who then shocked them. And then he was shooting slow-mo video. And then he was also popping the strobe to get the stills. And first of all, it's a great portrait series. I like the, the post-processing kind of stylization that he did, so it's slightly muted in terms of saturation. He's got some funny expressions. Um, he does a whole setup video, um, which is really interesting to see. And the one thing that struck me about it after I watched all of this, though... Hmm, what's that? ...was that it sort of... Given all of the police brutality stuff that we've seen recently, it kind of trivializes that because, you know, a person in a studio with a bunch of friends getting tased for a half second and then laughing, like yelping and then laughing and everyone's laughing and then they go get a drink is very different than black guy getting pulled over and tased 13 times and going into cardiac arrest and dying.
1: Yeah. So, right. And and the series isn't representing any type of pain.
0: Yeah, it's almost like surprise and then joy in some cases.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. On the face. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So I uh, clearly he didn't time it to coincide with all of these things that we're seeing now in the news. It's just unfortunate that that it it came out and 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 that the comparison has to even be made because I think in and of itself it's just an interesting thing. Like how do people react to to pain and, and how do we capture it. The fact that it's a taser and the fact that police departments use tasers are make it a little controversial in my head.
1: Yeah, and not in a like a shock art kind of way.
0: Yeah, and kind, of just like, eh, kind of just
1: like, oh okay.
0: <laughs> not the most tasteful thing.
1: Yeah, agreed, yeah.
0: But you know it, it got picked up by a lot of places uh, so in terms, I, I think in part he knew it was going to be sort of a viral idea that's my we should have him on the show and ask him but we that's should. sort of my inclination to say hey I came up with this good idea it's probably gonna go viral I'm gonna do a whole background video so that all this supporting documentation can come out at the same time so he did all of it. and and nowadays when you have a good project you have to have all of the background video you know it's like a good promo if you have a good photographer promo you better be ready to talk about how you put it together because it's gonna get picked up by petapixel and PDN and all these other places so
1: transparency
0: yeah I loved I love the photos the the subject matter is a little iffy in my head but you know hey if you have a good idea go for it we know these kids Kendrick Brinson and David Walter banks
1: oh yeah bring them up
0: great photographers um and they started doing this sort of pose where David would would hold Kendrick and she would kinda kick her legs into the air several years ago, just kind of on a lark she did it. So this is the first image. And then, then, uh, so I I don't know if this is the exact moment, but uh, Jabin Botsford, who was the College Photographer of the Year last year, who I met again at the Photography at the Summit with Rich Clarkson, he took a photo of him and one of his friends in a similar way and hashtagged it Benson uh, banking, <laughs> and then I guess it sort of caught on a little bit.
1: Oh yeah, and they've been doing this pose for years, four they've years, for years, yeah, yeah, multiple, multiple Instagram pics of of them in this cute pose Now
0: I'm not sure whether this is a real trend, because all of the people that they're referencing are all sort of like photo insiders, like Vanessa yeah. and Jabin and Chip Litherland. Like we all, all we all know each other. All these people.
1: Right, right. right.
0: But you know what, if it does catch on, I'm so happy for them.
1: I know, it's, it's pretty a cute. It's joyous pose. It's pretty cute. I want to know if she's like running up to him and jumping into his arms. That's what I need to know. Probably not. That's what I picture in my head though. Why don't we them. ask him? We, we we'll should ask absolutely them. ask
0: them. <laughs> they're, they're great photos, you should follow them on Instagram. So anyway, I saw these photos and then I came across this uh, uh, set of photos by Lily McElroy, who's a, who's a photographer. And she had a project where she would go to bars and she would just jump into the arms of men.
1: <laughs> no, she's pro- definitely jumping. There's yeah, no question.
0: <laughs> this project is called, incidentally, "I Throw Myself at Men." <laughs> um, and so, you know, there's there's it's obviously on a tripod. Uh, there's obviously a flash here, and which is great because it freezes the motion. Um, and they're they're just funny photos, and a lot of like the, the pose sort of reminded me of the Brinson banking, except a little more violent.
1: Yeah. Um. A little less uh, delicate, yeah. Yeah.
0: But and like, like this this blonde woman's like, hey hey whoa 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 watch out your your leg it <laughs> might kick my leg okay. Um.
1: Hey, stop throwing yourself around there.
0: Come on, Lily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but an interesting project, and I like these photos. Yeah. Good they're for fun. you. <laughs> we end today with something that is, is tangentially photo-related. We've talked about the monkey selfie yeah. for several weeks in a row because new things keep happening with it. As you recall, somewhere in Indonesia, uh, a macaca, which is a type of... <laughs> macaque. what is it?
1: I, I don't know. It's just some kind of monkey. Macaca,
0: some sort of monkey. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure all the biologists out there will say it's not a monkey. It's part of the great ape. Well, whatever the case is, right, it's like, right. right. It's sort of like a monkey, sold the camera of a British photographer, s- shot several hundred images, a few of which turned out to be awesome selfies. Uh, the, the photos were posted on Wikipedia, the photographer did a takedown notice, Wikipedia said there's no copyright for it because you didn't take it, the monkeys took it, and according to copyright law, only a human actor can hold a copyright, not an in- inanimate object and not an animal. So all of this went around, first of all, he was a British photographer, he's Indonesia, so US copyright law, whatever, right? Um, but then the US Copyright Office, anyway, writes a statement that says, tangentially relates to this, and said this, this wouldn't qualify for copyright. Over on the New Yorker magazine, they have a, a column called Shouts and Murmurs. Um, and it's a humor column. And uh, a writer by the name of Bill Barbel wrote a statement from the monkey. <laughs> And all I have to say is you need to read it.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. We can't quite describe it, but it, it's a good statement, and you should definitely
0: read it. Yeah, let me. maybe I can do the first paragraph for people. Monkey feel vindicated that US Copyright Office rule bad man ineligible to claim monkey selfie as intellectual property. Monkey advised by counsel not to comment while issue being adjudicated, but now that ruling has been issued. Monkey grateful to be able to speak out for first time and perhaps provide valuable content. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's kind of like, uh, for those of you who are old enough, the caveman lawyer from Saturday Night Live, um, where these these affectations of you know caveman-speak were mixed in with legal terms, and it was just a very funny sketch with Phil Hartman. Uh, Bill Barbel has done the same uh, for The New Yorker. This link will be available on blog.photoshelter.com, and you should definitely read it. It is, it is very funny. I, I, I really laughed out loud, I-R-L-O-L.
1: I, I did, too. I LOL'd, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. What are you going to do for Labor Day?
1: I'm going to go to Long Island. All right. Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully it won't thunder. Hopefully it'll be some great uh, weather. I hope so. And we'll see you in, I know it's not technically the fall, but it's going to sort of kind of feel like fall next week.
1: Kind of, sort of.
0: Yeah. That'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> So for Sarah Jacobs, this is Alan Murbayashi signing off with another episode of I Love Photography. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.